following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. It's good to be back with all of you this morning after a very refreshing family vacation. And before I begin, I want to say a big, big word of thanks to our children's pastor, Jesse Bryski, and to Wade Reed uh, for their... Um, Ministry of Preaching in the past couple of weeks. If you were here the past couple of weeks, did they not do a great job? Yeah, they did a really good job. So thank you, Jesse and Wade. And um, it's nice to know that, that uh, I didn't have to worry about that particular type of thing while I was away. Um, unfortunately, somebody did get this, let this thing get loose, so now I have to fix it. I don't want it to wobble. <laughs> Today, I had planned on using John 8, 1 through tw- or 12 through 20 as my text, but as I was preparing to preach today, I found out that I was not really able to get past verse 12 from that passage. And so the entire sermon today is going to be based on just that one verse, John 8, 12, and uh, I will do my best not to preach three sermons in one to make up for lost time. Uh, But I actually think this is a good thing because this, uh, despite the fact that we've just gotten done with a series during which we talked about how it's not good use of the Bible to just pick out one verse (laughs) here and and there, um, I'm going to do that today, but it's such a rich and deep and profound verse, and I promise to support it with lots of other scriptures, so I think that I'm going to be okay in the spirit of the uh, rules that we have set up for how we engage with scripture um, just very recently. And then what we'll do is we'll look at the rest of the passage that was originally assigned to today next week, and I've pushed some other things around, and it doesn't really matter, but we'll, we'll figure that out as we go. So let's look at this verse together. Uh, If you want to turn in your Bibles to find John chapter 8, you can do so. It's on page 870, I believe it is, if you're using these red Bibles, which are located around the sanctuary. If it's in your own Bibles, it may not be on that page, but if you're good enough with the Bible to bring one with you to church, I imagine you can probably find John 8 without a page number. What Jesus says in this, this one little verse is the following. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to ask you to let these words of Jesus seep into you like you're a sponge soaking up water. We've been saying a lot of things aloud together this morning, probably more than usual. Let's do one more. Would you say these words together? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let that wash over you. Because the world is a dark place sometimes. This past month or so, it has seemed to me to be especially dark. It took me four times of seeing the headline before I actually clicked it 
about what's going on in northern Iraq right now and how uh, Christians and other religious and ethnic minorities are being slaughtered uh, very graphically. There's more than the usual amount of unrest in Palestine. Some members of our church community, as we speak, are in the country of Uganda, where, as you know, clean drinking water is not readily available to everybody, um, condition which causes sickness and death that we can't even imagine having to deal with every day. Here at home, Rochester has just been, I believe, the we climbed higher on the list, but we should call this a downgrade, to, has gone from the fifth most uh, impoverished city to the third. And to bring it a little bit closer to home, we have not even gotten over mourning and grieving the loss of one of our own brothers who died a month or so ago before we received the news that our friends at a sister church just down the road have lost one of theirs, a man even younger than Sturs, who leaves behind a wife and three children. And that kind of out there world darkness doesn't even begin to touch on the darkness that you may feel inwardly. Whatever your own personal darkness may be, that you walk in on a daily basis at your job, or in your home, or in your mind. The darkness of moral and ethical failure, corruption, selfishness, anger, and violence. The world is a dark place. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, I imagine you probably have one of two responses. There may be subcategories of response, but I think you probably either fall into category one, which I would call, yes, please, Jesus, it is dark. I want to walk in your light. Or what I would call category two, which is, yeah, it's dark, all right, so I'm going to go ahead and call BS on the whole Jesus as the light of the world kind of thing. Probably one of us falls directly into one of those categories or leans one way or the other. Of course, some of us walk on that line between them and (laughs) try to keep our balance. I hope that this morning I have some useful thoughts for either type of category of response. Make no mistake, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, he is making a very bold claim. This is not a vague spiritual abstraction. Do you have friends who are spiritual but not religious? Maybe you are the friend who's spiritual, not religious. I don't mean to insult you. I understand why someone would describe him or herself that way. Um, but if you're a spiritual but not religious type of person, you, you, you are familiar with this language of darkness and light as a vague abstraction spiritually. That is not where Jesus is going with this. I would, I would 
claim. I think when, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, that is a direct connection that he is making between himself and Yahweh, the God of Israel, the, the creator of the universe. It's a claim to his divinity. Let me explain what I mean. If you would flip back with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, in the Red Bibles, you only have to go back eight pages to 862. Now, in case you don't happen to have um, continually listened over and over again to my sermon from May 13th, 2012, uh, which was the first week we spent in the Gospel of John, uh, I'll just remind you, for the one or two of you in the room who, who don't have this right in your head, this is how John begins his Gospel, the, the collection of stories about Jesus that contains the one that that we're looking at today where he says, I'm the light of the world. John starts the whole thing out by saying this. In the beginning, do those words sound familiar, was the Word. And the NRSV does us the favor of capitalizing that W to indicate this is something big. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. You might say the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So the words of Jesus in John 8, when he says, I'm the light of the world, echo the words of the prologue to the Gospel of John in John chapter 1. And of course, these words in John chapter 1 themselves echo the first story of creation that we find in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1. John is purposefully evoking the opening words of the books of Moses. If you look at John chapter 1 and print it out and print out Genesis chapter 1 next to it, you will see a lot of parallels. You could draw some lines across. Let's go back and look at Genesis 1. This is very easy to find. It's on page 1 in your red Bibles. And in this case, I can actually tell you that it is also on page 1 of your other Bible that you brought with you from home. And as soon as I say that, somebody will say, I have the introduction on page 1. The editor's comments, well, it's at the beginning, right? I want you to see what I mean here. Genesis 1 starts this way. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and... Darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God, your translation might say a spirit of God, because it's the same word in Hebrew, swept over the face of the waters. Do you see the connection that's happening here? Not just the duplication of that key phrase, in the beginning, but the interplay of the light and the darkness. So I would propose to you that when Jesus says to his disciples, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, he is not just calling himself a guru or a sage, he is intentionally placing himself right in the middle of the first act of creation. Again, the earth was a formless void and the darkness covered the face of the deep. A wind of God swept over the face of the waters. And then it goes on to say, what? You know this. It's 
even if you've never been in church, you've heard this phrase. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And hear this. He separated the light from the darkness. You see how that's echoed when Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God separates light from darkness. Jesus promises an escape from darkness into light. It's interesting to me, by the way, that the act of creation is in part an act of overcoming darkness. I don't want to get too philosophical or metaphysical about what was present before the created order. Um, Turtles all the way down and all that stuff. (laughs) But the, the witness in Genesis 1, it's, it seems to be that darkness prevailed until God shed light. You might say that darkness is the absence of God's creative work. Darkness is what is there before God starts making things. And also notice this. This is a very Hebraic kind of idea. The days of creation are not described as the time between sunrise and sunset, as we might think about them, the way we mark our days. No, God made the light which illuminated the darkness covering the face of the deep. And then as the phrase goes, there was evening and there was morning the first day. We would say that the opposite, wouldn't we? If I were telling you about the days of my vacation... I would say on Monday, I woke up and I didn't go to work. <laughs> there was morning, and then I had a lot of fun all day. And then it got dark, and there was evening. That was the first day of my vacation. <coughs> Missed the button there, sorry. That's not how the, the biblical author here describes the days. It's the other way around. There was evening, and then there was morning the first day. There was evening and then there was morning, the second day, and the third, and the fourth, and the sixth. All six days of creative work are indicated this way. If you'll permit me, um, God, like all great artists, does his best work while the rest of us are asleep. Right? Pounding down the coffee, making plants. Have another latte, make the fish. (laughs) Um, Side note, this candle is about to burn completely down, and I kind of need it at the end of my talk. Would somebody please find another candle and place it? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And it's good to be back with you people. I bet you missed me. So God, imagine God doing his creative work while we're sleeping. And imagine waking up if you were, again, this is a metaphysical tautology or something. Um, imagine waking up and seeing all the things that had happened overnight. And in an, an effort to start to bring this back home to a more personal level, level think about the darkness um, in your own life and the fact that the psalmist says, weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
And by now you can recite it with me, can't you? Whoever follows me, you're not reciting it, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thank you, Autumn. Autumn Gallegos Greenwich, candle specialist. (laughs) Thank you. Perhaps we should turn this air conditioner off. Whoever follows Jesus is walking in the light. Again, not in some vaguely abstract spiritual way, but as a disciple of the one who was present the very first time darkness was flooded with creative light. To walk in the light of Christ is to be recreated by the creator of the universe, the bringer of all light. Even the lights we have, the stories of creation talks about how God made lights. <laughs> the sun and the moon, and of course we know the moon is not a light, but it reflects the light of the sun. But again, it's not a physics textbook, it's an origin story. The one who set the sun in the sky, the one who bathed the darkness over the face of the deep with light, is the one who recreates you as you follow Jesus. It might take longer than six literal 24-hour days for you to be a new creation. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him that way. And here's the key phrase. So if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. A new creation. Just as God creates darkness out of night, out of light, just as God creates out of the darkness of night, in Christ we are recreated out of our own darkness. To follow the light of the world, Jesus, as Paul says, to be in him, in Christ, is to be completely remade as a new creation. To be a new work of art that God forms overnight in the darkness. To wake up and find something, even if it's a little small thing some days, that is new and beautiful and unexpected and alive. So how do we square all of this with the fact that the world sure does still seem like a pretty dark place? You may be a person who I would say is outside looking in. In other words, you're not You would not describe yourself as following Jesus. But you might begin to see that light, that glimmer in the darkness. To you, I would encourage you to walk toward the light. Try to get a little bit closer. The light will become a little bit brighter. You might be a person who is inside the doors of the Christian faith, if you will. Doors is the wrong metaphor, but we'll let it go for now. You're on the other side of that line of faith. 
you're on the inside, maybe looking out, because a lot of us dwell near the door. (laughs) And you may have trusted in Jesus and started following him as the light of the world and then been disappointed to find out that things still seemed a little bit dim. That you didn't find an immediate experience of total light in your own life, let alone in the world around you. Let me encourage you that this is the way of faith. I cannot say it better than Anne Lamott, who herself borrowed some phraseology from E.L. Doctorow. It's like driving a car at night. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. (laughs) And remember that God does his best creative work at night. One of the great saints of the church wrote of the dark night of the soul. A time when God seemed distant and absent and how it was walking through that period in his life when he began to have a deeper and stronger faith. I can attest to something similar in my own life. If you read the giants of faith, Mother Teresa most recently, their experience has not been one of just unending glorious brilliance. The darkness hangs on. But joy comes in the morning. There's evening and there's morning the first day or the second day or the hundredth day or the twelve thousandth day or I don't know how many days you've been alive, but probably that many. Just imagine what you'll find when the sun rises. But you might be kind of a category two person. Regarding the world as a whole and noticing that it still seems really dark, even though, preacher, you're supposedly saying that the work of Christ has been accomplished. He's the light of the world. Read the news, you might say, to quote that great evil archetype Lord business. That's a lot of hippy-dippy baloney. No, but very seriously, you may be saying, I don't buy it. Look around. Read the news. And I agree. The world is indeed broken by sin and death and rebellion against God. It's a dark place. The light that Jesus promises, see, it, it manifests itself, I think, in two ways. One in our past and one in our, in our future. And we, of course, live in the present, which is this hinge place, this in-between place. The work on the cross is done. It is in the past. The redemption of the world has begun. But as we think about the story that God is drawing us into, that we see told in all the books of Scripture in in their various different ways, the ending has not happened yet. As N.T. Wright says, the the fifth act of the play is underway, and we are actors. (laughs) And we're called to improvise our parts as we go about joining with God in his work, in his recreative work.
So if you find that the world is still too dark for your liking, I think that the solution is not to call the whole thing nonsense and to become a nihilist, although that is really tempting some days. I think that the response ought to be the solution is light a candle. (laughs) If the world is dark, bring it some light. By the way, Christians, this is our fault. I just don't know how much God wants to do in the world without involving us in it. I won't go too far down that road because there lies heresy probably. I do know this, that God calls us to participate with him in his work. And every time we fail to bring light into the darkness, when we have an opportunity to do so, we are failing to do the work of God to which he calls us. And if our friends and peers and neighbors can't see the, the light in the world, the light of the world, if they, think, if they look around and think it's just all darkness, not buying it, that is partly because we have failed to do our work. We're not carrying the flame and we need to repent of that. And I could spend the whole next year preaching every Sunday on what that means. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. will have the light of life. Can we be a part of bringing light to our world? I want to add a response to these words for you in addition to the table of the Lord uh, which you are all invited to come to and participate at and I'll introduce in a moment I've put these candles out and the this I want you to think of the center candle the larger one as Christ and his light and these little tea lights are you and me and the darkness that we experience, um, absent the light of Christ, this, this does no good in the darkness. And so for you, what you, may, you may have this, I want to ask you to make the same physical gesture regardless of what type of response you might be making. If you're a person who has never lit the flame, so to speak, this would be kind of a neat gesture for you as you begin a lifetime of trusting in Jesus. I invite you to do that. If you're a person who's kind of on the inside barely but looking out and skeptical and worried and it's too dim, the solution for you is to come to the light, come closer to Jesus, and you can make that same gesture of lighting this candle and receiving a little bit of light for yourself. And maybe you're still deeply skeptical and you just want to, but, you, but, you have, but you're an optimist. You have a little bit of hope. It might not mean anything specific for you just yet, but you are welcome to come and light a candle as well. Um, rather than carry them back to your seats and potentially start a fire, I would just suggest that you light it and look at it for a moment, 
make your peace with it and set it on the table um, next to the other one. There's two, two here that you can come to either way. And then our normal every week response to hearing the words of Scripture read and proclaimed is to come to the table uh, of the Lord, to celebrate communion together. All who are seeking to follow Jesus in this place, regardless of church membership or affiliation, are welcome at this table, which is open. Let me read to you this beautiful meditation, and then we'll uh, continue in worship at the table and with the candles and in prayer and in song. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a very long time. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, not because it is I who invite you, It is our Lord. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. So come. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.